good morning. Um, yes, I have an American accent. You can just, of course, according to my people, you guys are the ones who have accents, but it's fine. Yeah, right. Answer me. Like you Um, we're looking at Luke chapter 2 today. We're looking at verses 1 through 20. 1 through 20. Um, so Dave and Doug asked me a few weeks ago if I would be willing to preach. And I'm like, oh, okay, sure. Which I'm happy to do. This is not something that's new to me. I am, I'm, this is something that's very, very normal. Um, but this is the first time I've had the opportunity to preach here. And so it's something that I, that I cherish. I'm very thankful for. Um, so what we're going to do is we're going to walk through the text very simply. Um, I, I, I may t- preach a little bit differently than what you're used to, and if that do that, just forgive me. You don't have to hear me next week. It's okay. So it's fine. Um, if, if you have any complaints, Doug at Parkhurst Community Church, Doug Coza, and that's fine. All right. Um, so we're looking at Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 20. On the first few verses, there'll be more background, but it's going to help us understand what's happening. Prior to this, we've seen Mary knows she's going to give birth. We have uh, John the Baptist and his birth, as well as like it, it's just all the things that are happening up to this point. Highly recommend you go back and listen to those sermons. So Luke chapter 2, verse 1. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that the whole empire should be registered. The first registration took place while Quirinius was governor of Assyria or Syria. So everyone went to be registered, each to his own town. Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family line of David to be registered along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was pregnant. While they were there, the time came for her to give birth. Then she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in a tightly in cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. In the same region, Shepherds were staying out in the fields and keeping watch at night over their flock. Then as an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Don't be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the city of David, a Savior was born for you, who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be the sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped tightly in cloth and lying in a manger. Suddenly, there was a multitude of heavenly hosts with the angel praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to people he favors. When the angels had left them and returned to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go straight to Bethlehem and see what has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. They hurried off and found both Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. After seeing them, they were reported the message they were told about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary was treasuring up all these things in her heart and meditating on them. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had seen and heard, which were just as they had been told. So what we're doing over the course of these, these four weeks for Advent is we're looking at the songs that happen in this first part of of the book of Luke. And so we've looked at the song of Mary called the Magnificat. We've looked at the song of uh, the song from last week, which, uh, which is the song of John's father, right? And now we're looking at the song of the angels. So funny thing about this, it's the shortest one, 
So I was like, maybe they want me to preach less. That's not going to happen. Sorry about that. Um, so, so, but it's the shortest one of these, of these different things, but I think it has a massive impact and it has a lot to say about what's going on and like about what the gospel is and about what Christmas is actually about. I talk quickly and I'm going to do my best to slow down, I promise. So we're looking at a song of peace in the midst of a chaotic world. A song of peace in the midst of a chaotic world. We started a bit earlier. We in verses one and two, one through three, we see that with sorry, Luke gives us this background. He says, In those days the agree went out from Caesar Augustus, and this the Quirinius was the governor of Syria. And you're like, what does this have to do with anything? Why is why is Luke giving us this information? And some people are like, well, it gives us the time for when it happened, which is about 6 AD. When you're like, well, I thought Jesus was born earlier than that, or I thought it was what happened to zero, I'm confused. That's the question. Because when we see this, there's actually quite a lot that, that Luke is bringing to the forefront when he talked, when he names Caesar, when he names the governor of Syria. So when I was thinking about this, these kinds of things, I thought about the fact that there's so many political things that are going on in our world today. Whether whether you whether you want to talk about Israel and Palestine, and I'm not Doug talked about that a bit last week. I highly recommend you listen to that and pray for peace in Israel. We should do that. But there's also things like the war in Ukraine and Russia. There are conflicts all over the globe. They're still fighting going on in Azerbaijan, in Sudan, in Ethiopia, right? All these political things are all, all the time going, and we're constantly being shouted these things from the news media and things like this. This is what's happening here, too. The reason that, that Luke is bringing to the forefront is because if you lived in this day, you couldn't miss it. You can't miss all the politics that are going on. There's a census that is, that is being, that's being held that's being in 6 AD is when it's happened. And you're like, well, what, what's, what's the big deal about a census? Well, it's if they can figure out who they can tax and where. It's not just that. The Romans would use censuses to figure out where they needed to have troops in order to stop rebellion. Does that make sense? If there's too many people, and by the way, I'm, I'm, if you want to amen, I'm okay with that. This may not seem like an amen portion, but I'm from the south of the United States, so we amen. So just help me out here. Like, normally I'm Doug's amen corner. I need you to be my amen corner today. Um, so the idea is that, is that if there's going to be a rebellion, they want to make sure they have enough troops in those places to stop it. Does that make sense? So you can imagine, like, okay, we're going to count everybody. Don't count me. We, we want you out of here. This is Roman occupation. We, have, we don't want you here, Right? It, which it sounds like a really odd thing to our ears, but in 6 AD, there was a guy named Judas from Galilee, not the same Judas that comes later, but a guy named Judas from Galilee who led a, the zealot revolt against the Romans. This is exactly what Luke is pointing to. People are fighting back against the Romans. There's all of this political chaos, right? And then when you look at verses 4 through 7, on top of that, you have all these people traveling. Joseph goes back to his hometown. Now, we don't know if everybody went back to their, like, to their hometown for per- these kind of purposes, but we know that Joseph did, and there's all this travel, and apparently there's enough people traveling and going that his family has no place to put them but the barn. 
Yeah, that's the, like, sorry, Joe, Barnes, all you got. What? But, but I, but I know, but the house is full. You got to sleep out there. We'll clear some space. Doesn't sound real comfort, comfortable, does it? And then he gives birth. Well, he doesn't. Mary gives birth. Be weird if he did that. But Mary, who gives birth and isn't even married yet. So you have, you have this, this personal scandal that's going on. You have all this population change, population movement. You have all this political everything going on. That's chaotic. Have you guys, uh, have you guys ever been at a point where like, you're about to go maybe on holiday or on a trip and you've done all the packing and maybe you're staying up late at night? My wife does this a lot when we, when we do this kind of thing. Is it, all this packing we do late at night and you get up early in the morning and you, you, you put things in the car or you get to the airport or wherever and you sit down and you take that breath. You know what I'm talking about? There's that moment of peace. You've just pushed through all this chaos and all this pushing and everything else and you just have to take a breath. That's what we're doing here. That's why Luke is painting this picture. He's saying in the middle of this, in the middle of this chaotic moment, God is trying to bring peace. I feel that this morning, don't you? It's not easy. It's not easy to take those breaths and to find that peace. But we're going to look at what what God is saying to us so we can actually take these breaths. So then you get to, in verses 8 through 20, we're going to start with, we're going to look at this in, in, in three points. We're going to look at the messengers, the message itself, and the audience. Okay, we're going to look at the angels, what they say, and who they say it to. That, that's how we're going to walk through the rest of this passage together. The first thing which you can see that the angels bring a message. When they bring this message, it's kind of interesting. So we'll look at verses 8 through 13. In the same region, shepherds were staying out in the fields and keeping watch at night over their flock. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Don't be afraid, for I proclaim to you good news of great joy will be for all people. I'm going to skip down. In verse 13 it says, Suddenly... There was a multitude of the heavenly host with the angel praising God and saying, and they give the song. Angels are interesting. Angels are very, very interesting. We have this idea of what angels are in our minds. Well, the word angel in Greek, all it really means is messenger. Now, we know that these aren't typical messengers because they show up out of nowhere, right? They just appear and they're shining and I don't know what's happening there. But we have this idea a lot of times of angels, and we think of like precious moments. Anybody familiar with what the precious moments little angels are? That's a super American thing, apparently. Well, I've got Louise is like it. So the parents, so they make these like they make these little sculptures. My mother-in-law knows what these are. Um, they they make these little sculptures of like porcelain and different things like this. And there's these little baby angels and things like this with wings, and they're really cute and all this kind of stuff. That's kind of the idea we have a lot of times when we think about angels. We think about these. Um, these kind of amorphous, like blonde-haired people in long white robes with big wings. That's kind of what we picture, right? But that's not, it doesn't say anything about wings here. There's nothing like that. There's no, there's no harps. There's, There's none of these things that we picture from like the Looney Tunes cartoons or anything like that. It's not. What we see instead is this, this person shows up in a flash 
it scares the fool out of these out of these shepherds. Well, this is the first time this happened. No, Mary gets scared too. Every single time, just about it, you see an angel show up. What is the first thing they say? Anybody know? Fear not. Don't be afraid. Why? Because they're scary. You might be like, that's well, that, that's that's dumb. It's it's not. It's really not. The, the, the best descriptions we have of angels are the seraphim. We see this in Isaiah, in Ezekiel, and in Revelation. And in, in those three past, in those three books, what we see is that angels are weird, man. They're weird. They're covered in eyes. They got weird looking faces of lions. They're, they, have, they have six wings and they fly around. Like that's strange. If you don't think that's strange, maybe you like Greek mythology more than I do. That's really weird. So this, this angel, this messenger shows up, appears out of nowhere, is surrounded by light, bright light. This is, what, this is oftentimes what's referred to as the glory of God. It indicates God's presence with the angel, right? But this brightness that shows up out of nowhere, and they were terrified. Okay, John, that, that, that's fine. That's neat. But why are they scared? I'm still confused. It's a bright light, and they, oh, they're shocked, and it moves on. And he has to tell them to stop being afraid. Why? Well, here's the point. A few minutes, in verse 13, just a few moments later, it says suddenly there was a multitude of the heavenly host with the angel. We, we translate that word host this way, and that's fine, as long as you understand that what it means is a military force. That's what that is. You guys have heard the song, like the God of Angel Armies? This is the angel army that shows up. This is the angel army that, that appears out of nowhere. So imagine the sky at night. So it's dark. You're sitting around your fire. You're, you're shepherding your sheep. And then all of a sudden, this warrior, probably with the sword. We see angels with swords in the Bible. Probably with the sword and armor glowing, shows up brighter than your fire. You're going to probably wet yourself. And then the sky fills with them. Tell me you're not going to be afraid. Like, no, nobody could say that they weren't going to be afraid. This, this is huge. But what was fascinating to me about this is that they were surrounded by God's glory. It just wasn't just that God sent an army of people to deliver a message. It said that he sent them and went with them. His presence was with them. So why? Why send an army of angels? Wouldn't wouldn't have like, what if he just sent 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 a piece of mail? You know, sent somebody else. He he sent a donkey in the old testament. Why not do that? Like what 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 are what are why not do a number of other things? Why an army? Why would God why did God think that needed to happen? So um I have four kids, if you don't know, and they're all incre- incredibly crazy and a lot of fun. Um, if you ever have this experience, you'll understand. So, you know, you're sitting in the toilet and there's not an adult in the house and you realize you're out of toilet paper and you're like, Hey, Luke, Luke's my youngest. He's three. Hey, Luke, come here. Yes, dad. I need you to go to the other room and do his lab because you you picture this, right? I need you to go into the other the other bathroom and I need the other toilet. I need you to bring me toilet paper. And he comes back and you're lucky if he brings toilet paper, guys. You're lucky. Why? But like, look, when you when I send that kind of messenger, I'm hoping for the best. Right? 
Jesus, when, when God sent the angels, he's not hoping for the best. He's sending them with trust and confidence. Not what I have in my three-year-old. Right? It, it's, it's huge. It demonstrates the importance of the message that he's sending. He didn't send a child. And I, felt, I think children sending messages is beautiful and wonderful. But Jesus is making a statement here. God is making a statement. He's sending it with his presence and with his power. This message comes with that kind of weight. So before we move on, I just want to make this point for us. God sent the angels to make a simple and incredibly important announcement empowered by his presence. Very often when I, when I talk to people, so if you don't know who I am and what I do, my wife and I are here as, as missionaries who work primarily down in the CBD and in, in, in town, okay? So I share the gospel all the time. I tell people about Jesus all the time. And a lot of times when I talk to people about sharing the gospel, and I'm literally like, well, I don't know enough. I, 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 I don't quite, I can't answer all the questions. I can't do this or that. I, I, but what if I get it wrong? And these are the kinds of questions that come out, right? When God sent the angels, did the angels say very much, honestly? No. He said very little. But his presence was there. Matthew 28, 18 through 20, which is known as the Great Commission, at the very end of it, is where Jesus tells us to go make disciples of all nations. I'm not going to quote the whole thing, but I can. At the end of it, it says, And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. When we make disciples of God, he, his, his presence and his power is with us. Just like he sent the angels out with his power, with his glory, he is doing the same thing for everyone who calls themselves a believer, for everyone who calls themselves a follower of Jesus. When they go and seek to make disciples, he's sending you out with his power too. So you may not, you may be like, I don't know how. One, I can teach you. That's not that hard. We can deal with that. So if you have a question, come, come talk to me and my wife after. But two, is that even if you mess up, God is still with you. He is still with you. So no matter where you are in, like in, in, that, in that whole piece, know that the power of God goes with you when you seek to expand his kingdom. That's the first point is the angels. The second point is this. If this is a song of peace. So in verses, verses 10 through 14, it says this. But the angel said to them, don't be afraid. For look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the city of David, a Messiah, a Savior is born for you who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be the sign for you. will find him wrapped in tightly in cloth and lying in a manger. Suddenly, there was a multitude of the heavenly hosts with the angel praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to whom he favors, to people he favors. This is the song of the angel. It's kind of two parts. First, there's an announcement, right? You have the one angel that says these three things. He says, don't be afraid. I bring good news of great joy for all people. And then he says, a Savior is born. He tells us, he says, look, this is the Messiah. Now, if you don't know what the word Messiah means, that's okay. I'm here to tell you. It's really simple. The word Messiah in the Old Testament is the same word we use for Christ in the New Testament. 
And all it means very simply is it means anointed. Well, that's really cool. What does that mean? It means that Jesus is the king. That's what it means. Anytime you read Messiah, anytime you read Christ, you need to read king. You need to read Lord in that, in that sense. So, but the reason we see that and the reason we know that is because David and Saul were also messiahs. They were also anointed ones. But this is specific in this sense. So we see that there's a king that is a king who's born and he is a Lord. If you know anything about Roman history, and this is another part of reason why this is important for the first part, right? Caesar Augustus was the was the Caesar, right? If you actually look on Roman coin, the Roman coins, what did it say on the coins? Does anybody know? It said Caesar is Lord. So by the statement here that you're, where you're seeing that Jesus is being called the Lord, do you think the Romans would take that very well? No. And the third thing we see is that he was born in the city of David, David being the great king of Israel, right? So this whole thing is an announcement that there's a king born, and they're like, cool, there's a new king. There's a king of Israel. He's going to get rid of the Romans. This is great. By the way, you're going to find him in a manger wrapped in cloth. And yeah, go find him there in Bethlehem. Time out, what? No, no, no. He, the kings aren't born in stables. Kings are born in palaces, right? That's why this sign is important. So we see is that a king has been born for all people. And this is one of the crucial bit, bits that it was re- as I was digging through this and dwelling on this is one of the crucial bits it's easy to overlook. Because who is he speaking to? He's speaking to Jewish people, to Hebrew people. He's like, he, he's like, he, and the, the angel's like, remember this. It's, this is a, it's for great joy for all people, not just yours. All people. That's, that's me. If you're not Jewish in this room, if you don't have Jewish heritage, that's you too. This gospel, this good news, is for you and for me. It's for everyone who you meet. So a king has been born. All people bringing joy, but not how they expect. And there's the song. Glory in the Most High to God, and upon earth peace in men whom he favors. I love this. Glory in the Most High. Glory to God in the most high, in the highest heavens. God's presence with his people. We've already seen the glory of the Lord was with the angels. And what does God want to bring? To, what, is, wait, what is he saying? He's like, look, God's glory is present. It is there. It is everlasting. It is not going away. It is a visible display of his praise and honor. It is the most high. It's in the most high. And now that peace that presence of God is coming. In Genesis three fifteen, there's this there's a there's a section where where there's a curse because of sin. So if you go back and read it, um, what happens in Genesis three fifteen is that God explains the curse to Adam and Eve and the serpent. Okay, and what He says to Adam is He says there's going to be enmity between your offspring and the offspring of 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 this of the serpent. Essentially like there's gonna be beef. There's gonna be fighting. There's gonna be war between the two. Okay. So when Jesus brings peace here, it means that, that 
is ended. There is no more war against sin. And you might be like, but I war with sin in my heart. Sure you do. But the battle's already won. It's, the peace has already been purchased. It's already there. It's already present. And the last part where it goes through, it says, and peace on, and peace on earth to those whom he favors. Favor is when God chooses to do something that, it, that doesn't benefit him. Favor is when God chooses to do something that is self-giving, not self-benefiting. Favor is this kind of thing. The song praises God for the end of the curse brought on by sin and the beginning of peace through the grace of God for all people. This is the gospel. Some people, they, I, I, I see this all the time, and they're like, oh, Christmas is so cute, sweet six-pound, seven-ounce baby Jesus, and they, they, don't, they only really take Christianity seriously when it gets to Easter. But the problem is, is that without, without Christmas, there's no Easter. Jesus came as a baby. Can you imagine? Like, yeah, it's, it's mind-boggling to me that Jesus spat up on Mary. Jesus had to learn to talk. You know, he wasn't walking around at six months old going, I know, like he didn't, he was, he was fully human. And that's incredible to me because that means that Jesus entered into our lives, not figuratively, actually. Everything you've experienced in life, Jesus has experienced too. The suffering, the pain, all of it. The gospel is here. Jesus was born so that you would put down your weapons of war against him and against sin and stop fighting and enter into his peace and rest. You can't work your way in to his goodwill. He gives it to you. And once you have it, you can't work your way out. So I'm not very good at resting. I'm really bad at it. I'm, I'm really, really, really have a hard time. Um, I when like it's one of the things when I when I want to have time that I'm that I'm in quiet I go outside I'm in nature and those kind of things because if I'm at home what I'm doing is I'm washing dishes I'm doing clothes I'm picking up things in people's houses anybody relate to that I have a hard time with that so the other morning my my wife and I and our, our family we were in um, Pomalonga for a few days earlier this week and um, one morning we got up at. Like was it half past three, three fifty, quarter after three in the morning, and we got up and we went, we went to Kruger and we did a, like a morning walk. With it was just two of us and two rangers, and guys, that was the most peaceful three hours I've had in a long time. But like, but but here's why: I have a hard time trusting that everything is going to be okay. I have a hard time trusting that things are just going to be fine. They're going to work out. But I'm walking around with two rangers. It was just Ashley and I and two rangers with rifles. And I was like, well, they've got it. If a rhino charges, they got it. I just I just chose to rest in that. Perhaps you're anxious this holiday season. Perhaps you have a lot of, you have financial difficulties. You have big decisions to make. Perhaps you're like, your family makes you anxious. Can I just invite you to rest in Jesus? Can I invite you to have to find your peace in there? Not in your circumstances. Take time and do that.
Because if you don't, then it's going to overwhelm you. The last point. The shepherds and their response. So, verse 8 says in the same region, shepherds were staying out in the fields and keeping watch of the flock overnight. And then verses 15 through 20, when the angels had left them and returned to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go straight to Bethlehem and see what has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. They they hurried off and found both Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. After seeing them that reported the message, they were told about this child. And all who heard were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary was treasuring up all these things in her heart and meditating on them. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had been, that had been seen and heard, which were just as they had been told. So the shepherds were people who were work, they were working class, right? They were outside the city. They were not the religious elite. So we might say in our minds, like, look, why the shepherds? I'll, I'll give you three good reasons. Moses was a shepherd. David was a shepherd. Amos was a shepherd. Shepherds were the ones who regularly throughout the Old Testament brought the good, brought the gospel, brought the prophetic words that God sent. That wasn't, that's not always the case. Samuel wasn't, wasn't a prop. He wasn't a shepherd. But what we see is this happens. A lot of times shepherds get a bad rap. So they're like, oh, these, these are these people. But the thing is, is that God was speaking through them and, and the people sat down. They didn't have to fight to be heard by Mary and Joseph. They showed up and said, God told us you would be here. And they listened. The shepherds were people who were ready, ready to hear. But let's be honest. If, let's say Prince William and Kate, I can't remember what she's called, sorry. Uh, let's say Prince William like and Kate had a baby. Who's the first birth people are going to hear? King Charles, right? Camilla? The royal household, the servants and people like this. People in the street, are they going to hear? No, they're not. They're going to hear last. They're going to hear it on the BBC. They're going to hear it on SABC 24. Right? They're, they're not going to they're not going to hear it on the news. Like they're not going to hear it like by the person. They're not going to get a phone call. Guess what? The shepherds are, this, are a similar way. Like the people who you would expect to get the phone call in this situation are the people in the temple in Jerusalem. That's not what happens. God goes after these other people. So Matthew 22, there's, the, Jesus tells a parable. He, he tells a parable of, of, the, of the banquet, the wedding banquet. And he says he sends all the, he sends the servants out to different places and they take his servants and they beat them and they kill them. And then Jesus, this is what verses 8 and 9 of Matthew 22. Then he told his servants, the banquet is ready, but those who are, who are, who were invited were not worthy. Go then to, to where the roads exit the city and invite everyone you find to the banquet. This is the shepherds. They're not the people who are in the city center. They're people who are all the way out on the outskirts and they're being invited in. I love that. What's, the, what's their response? Their response is, it, it works in three ways. First, it's immediate and urgent. They want to see what God has done. You see it in verse in verse 15 and 16. Let's go straight to Bethlehem. In verse 16, they hurried off. Did they wait? Hold on, I'll, I'll, we have to get, let's, get let's, let's round up all the sheep. That's not the way, what it indicates. Maybe they did, but that's not what the text says. What the text says is they they got up and they went right then. 
That that's huge. And they they shared in verse seventeen. They shared what God had revealed to them to Mary and Joseph and all those who were there. And lastly, they they verse twenty. They gave glory and praise to God. If God has spoken to you, what is your response? Uh, in, in August of 1998, I was living in Nairobi, Kenya. And it, at that, around that time, well, August 6th, I think it was, 6th of August, there was, the, the embassy was bombed in Nairobi, as well as the one in, in Dar es Salaam, if you guys remember that. Um, so I remember waking up that morning to, to hearing that blast. I lived a few miles from the embassy, a few kilometers, maybe I shouldn't say miles. Um, I, I didn't live far from the embassy, and so I remember, I remember that, but I, what, what I remember most significantly about that morning is we actually had to drive through town. And I remember all the traffic being jam-packed. Everybody was trying to get out of the city, was trying to get out of the city center. And furthermore, that day in Kenya, there was actually an epidemic of blindness because what happened was the first, like they had a car bomb that went off. Well, actually, somebody threw a grenade in the, in the entrance of the embassy and that grenade went off. At which point, a whole bunch of people in downtown Nairobi stuck their heads out of the windows and the car bomb went off and people, the the windows all around downtown Nairobi shattered. There was an immediate epidemic of blindness because of that. That's terrible. But but when when this happens, the reason I'm saying this is because when, when we hear something happening, we have a response. Now, this was bad news and our world is full of bad news and we tend to like focus on these bad things that are happening all the time. And I'm not saying we should just put a smile on and think about happy thoughts. We have to deal with real, real, with real life issues. What I am saying is that when good news happens, what is your response then? We tend to react more strongly against bad news than we do against good news. What's your response? When you hear this message of peace, what is it? So in this whole passage we've seen, is there's, a, there's an incredibly chaotic situation in life. There's people being born. There's people moving. There's political machinations. There's revolts. There's, there's all kinds of things happening. And in the middle of this, these shepherds hear the word peace. And they respond to it. Look, perhaps this morning you are you're, you're a mature believer. You've been following Jesus for a long time. Where do you feel joy? Where are you getting your peace from? It's easy for us to start to like to think about the gospel and be like, that's for people who, who are her new believers. They're the ones who are supposed to have peace. I'm supposed to be just disciplined and do these things. Peace is for you too. In Amos 5 and in Jeremiah 29, there these exiles are being kicked out of Israel. They were told this, seek the Lord and the Lord. What are you seeking after? The shepherds were seeking after the promise of God. What are you seeking after today? But I'm already a Christian. That's not what I asked. What are you seeking after? Because every person, whether a Christian or not, is seeking after something. Perhaps you're a new believer. Perhaps you're you're someone who hasn't had to like you're this is you're still learning. You're maybe you're you're maybe you've you've been walking with Jesus for a long time, but you're like 20. 
you're still a young believer. Discipline yourself to learn to seek the Lord. Learn what it means to go after Jesus. Because if you can learn those trails, you can learn those paths now, it will benefit you for your entire life. And there, there's some of you guys who this morning who maybe aren't, you aren't believers. Where are you seeking peace in your life? Are you trying to get more peace because you need uh, a better house, a better job, a better marriage, a better girlfriend or boyfriend, uh, a better economic situation, anything? Where are you looking for your peace? Because can I tell you, it won't last. And that's not me, that's not me being bragging, whatever. I've 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 lived enough life. I'm almost 40. Some of you guys are like, you're like, that's still young. I accept that. The I'll take that actually. Like, I'm happy to be called young. But the the idea is that is I've lived enough life to know that life is fleeting. The peace that you have from your your circumstances, from your full belly, from from where you're sleeping, doesn't last. Only peace in Christ will last. And so I want to invite you to hold on to that. I want to read two verses and then I'll pray and we'll close. Ephesians 2.14, for he, Jesus, is our peace, who made both groups one and tore down the dividing wall of hostility. Maybe Maybe you have peace with God this morning, but you don't have peace with other people. Maybe you haven't experienced peace that direction. I want to invite you to experience the peace of God with other people. To Philippians 4, 7, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. I want to offer you guys that peace this morning in the midst of all this chaos that we have. You could be horribly nervous about elections next year. You could be, you could be nervous about all kinds of things that are happening. God's peace is here for you. Let's pray. Jesus, would you just be present here with us today and remind us that your shalom, your peace, God, that, that isn't circumstantial, that isn't, isn't here one day and gone the next, but is always ready for us to take hold of. It's ours. Jesus, would you be our peace today? Just like the angels who sang glory to God in the highest, and just like just like the shepherds who praised and gave glory to God as they saw the promise of God fulfilled, the prophecy of God fulfilled, would you raise that, raise that banner in our banner of praise and glory and peace to you? For you are the one who's accomplished it. You are the one who gave your favor to us. And we have done nothing to deserve it. So bless us today and be with us, Holy Spirit. In your name we pray. Amen.